Hello, podcast listeners. This is Tom James from the Ocala CEP. The Ocala Metro Chamber and Economic Partnership is the one-stop shop for the business community. Winner of the 2020 ACCE National Chamber of the Year Award, the Ocala CEP strives to be the catalyst for a prosperous community. The CEP works together with its over 1,500 partner businesses of all sizes to provide a positive return on investment. Let us help you get plugged in so that your business can have access to every resource available to ensure your success. If you're ready to grow your business's footprint, let us help today. Call us 352-629-8051 or visit our website, ocalacep.com. Good day, fellow dealmakers. Welcome to the Deal Scout. And uh, on today's show, we're going to talk about a restaurantpreneur. And uh, we get to learn some of the lessons about restaurants and maybe good ways to do it. Maybe some uh, ways that aren't so good to, to do it. So with that, we're inviting one of our friends, Kirk, on the show to to share his journey and some of the things that he's learned in the deals of restaurant businesses. So Kirk, welcome to the show. Thank you, Josh. Nice to be here. Yeah. All right. So Kirk, we're hanging out in a restaurant, perhaps, and uh, someone walks up and they go, hey, who are you? How do you typically introduce yourself and what you do? Well, um, I don't own any restaurants anymore, but what we have now is we have a virtual restaurant company uh, that we bring brands to restaurants. So um, a lot of times I'll be in a restaurant and and someone will come up to me, uh, an owner, something and ask me, you know, well, what is it that we actually do? And what we, in a nutshell, what we do is we bring business to the restaurants. We're one of the only businesses in America that uh, doesn't look to get business from the restaurant. We look to bring business to the restaurant and bring profitability to them. No kidding. Okay. We're going to talk all about that business model, how you came across it and discovered it. But um, for you know, for your journey, for you to be able to do that, you probably have some experience in restaurants. Kind of give us your, your background and, and what led to this new business model that you said doesn't exist or you haven't yeah. seen it. Yeah. So um, my, my journey in the restaurant business started in 2010. Believe it or not, not that long ago, I was uh, I was in the electrical distribution business for a long time out of college. Uh, did that until 2010 is when I uh, decided to move over and become the franchise director for a company called Aurelio's Pizza out of Chicago. Uh, I spent about five years there, learned a tremendous amount about the restaurant business, uh, got to work with independent restaurant owners that were uh, our franchisees, which was very enlightening uh, to see how they looked at the business as opposed to how we looked at it as from a corporate standpoint. Uh, built a lot of structure around that, uh, dealt with working within a, a family-owned business, which was very interesting at the time because I had never worked for a family-owned business. I had always worked for corporations. Uh, so I uh, got a lot of experience doing that. Then when I left uh, Aurelio's, I uh, I went and did some consulting for a little bit. And then uh, with some partners, bought a, a company called Honey Jam Cafes out of Chicago, which was a, um, a division of the um, Portillo's restaurant group. Uh, it was their their breakfast and lunch concept and uh, went from pizza, which was much different, uh, you know, afternoon and nighttime operation to a breakfast and lunch operation, which the hours were so much better. You know, uh, closing at 2.30 every day and having the rest of your day was a, a very interesting thing. So we, we, uh, we franchised the model at the time. 
we had brought in one franchisee. We had built the built the group into a, a pretty strong uh, group of restaurants. Um, then uh, my partners uh, took off from there. Uh, I had left and started my own brand um, in uh, Plainfield, Illinois. And uh, just before the pandemic, uh, the restaurant was doing okay. It, it wasn't. It really wasn't taking off the way I thought it would. And I got introduced to virtual restaurants at that point. And we brought on some virtual restaurant brands uh, for our, our particular location. We were actually the first uh, Next Bite, which was uh, is a competitor in the marketplace today. Uh, we brought on their brands. We were the first signed contract as a licensee in the United States. And it did very well. And that's when I decided I'm going to close up the restaurant because it wasn't doing as well, which just fortunately happened to be January 2020 is when I decided to close it just before the pandemic hit just dumb luck, right? And went into the virtual restaurant business at that point uh, in trying to show restaurants how there's a new business model, uh, but we didn't have the pandemic hadn't started. So it was just trying to sell a new business model to restaurants that they can uh, build their business upon. And then of course the pandemic happens and everything accelerates about five years in time. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Cause the world went virtual, virtually, immediately right like you know what it was um i was having success bringing uh people to the business model understanding it but it was early on so there were a lot of things that um we had a we had to take into account that was different than what you might have thought and then the pandemic hit yeah. and that's when everything changed because restaurants were shut down uh you couldn't have people come in uh they had to have another way they were getting inundated with online orders if they weren't in online order and they needed to get into it uh, so all of a sudden, our our idea became, holy cow, we really need this right now. And then it was a race, right? Well, when you race to something, you don't do it all in the best way. You do it, you go to the, the lowest hanging fruit and the, the path of least resistance at that point. So uh, so the first the first six months was a, was a challenge in trying to get technology where it needed to be. Uh, the technology companies were racing. All kinds of things were happening. Um, but the main thing was consumers were where we wanted them, and that was online. And they wanted to place orders online, and they needed different culinary options at that point. Yeah. So, all right, let's just say I've been in the – I used to work at a pizza shop. I think – man, I think everyone in the world – it should be like required in college if you go to college or whatever – that you either serve in some type of capacity of like police, fire, military, or you serve – in a restaurant, right? I you know what? It, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting business. Um, yeah. I love the restaurants. I love being in the restaurants. Um, I guess I guess it goes back to when I was in high school. You know, I was I was a delivery paper boy when I was very young. Right, that was my first job in in Staten Island, New York. You know, delivering the Daily News and the Post. And then I uh, I graduated up to a pizza delivery guy, which was a phenomenal job in New York city when you were a, a, a teenager, because you delivered pizzas and you made a lot of cash. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of money that you were, you were making that your friends were making, you know, $5 an hour back then at minimum wage and you were making 10, 15 delivering pizzas. So it's just really funny how it, it, it the whole world comes back around at some point that, you know, we, we now have businesses that rely on just delivery. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and we were the original delivery guys, the pizza guys. Super you know. cool. It's, it's this, it's this idea of service, though, that I think a lot of people are um, 
getting introduced to that I, I think it's so healthy for us to learn, right? To, to serve another human being. But let me ask this question, right? Like, so let's just say I've been, I've been uh, an owner of a restaurant business, uh, a pizza business, you know, let's just say for 20 years. So I don't know a lot about technology and you're coming to me talking about a virtual kitchen. And I'm like, all right, tell me what the hell this virtual kitchen thing means. Explain yep. it to me. That, that is that is exactly what ends up happening when we bring it into consumer, into our restaurant owners. And I would say probably 5% of the restaurant owners in the country have actually heard about it. Uh, another 10% have read a little bit about it and the rest have no clue uh, what, what we're talking about. But what we do is basically we, um, we, we come into that restaurant owner and say, okay, can you imagine you have your own brand online? right? You have your restaurant and people can order online from you anytime they want. But what if you had the ability to have 10 more restaurant brands online? And every time someone picked one of those brands, the order came to your restaurant and you made the food and you got paid to make that food and you got paid at a healthy profit. And then all of a sudden their eyes light up. And I say, well, now picture this picture. Now you have 10 more brands that you can make the food out of your commercial kitchen. Now it doesn't have to be the same food you currently make. It could be pastas. It could be breakfast items. It could be anything that your kitchen can actually make as a commercial kitchen, right? Now, we say to them, now we're going to put those brands on Uber. So there's going to be 10 storefronts on Uber that every time someone orders from it, the order gets routed to your store. You make the food and you get paid to do it. Now, multiply that by four because there's four major platforms that do delivery. There's Uber, Postmates, DoorDash, and Grubhub. So now you have 40 possible opportunities that someone can find online and order a food. Now, what brands do you choose? Well, the way we do it is we keep it very specific to food. So if you want to order a grilled cheese, there's a brand called Grilled Cheese Mania. And if someone searches the word grilled cheese, they see that. So we, we bring different culinary options. And of course, they're all our recipes that we do. And we bring those to those restaurants and we do all the marketing. We do everything for the restaurants. So the restaurant gets to do what they do best. Let's make the food. If they make great food and they follow our guidelines, and again, they're guidelines, this isn't a franchise. So these are guidelines to make certain items. And then they have control, complete control at the restaurant to make the food. And the better they make it and, and better quality they put out there and better packaging that they make it, make it look great for the consumer, the more orders they'll get. Super cool. All right. So I'm going to pretend to be the, the guy in business for 20 years making pizzas. He's like, man, I don't know. That sounds, sounds difficult. I don't know technology. We're still trying to figure out how to take credit cards. And mm -hmm. I don't know how to cook other stuff, man. I've been doing pizzas for the last 20 something years. What, what, how do, how do you typically, what do those conversations typically look like? Well, usually you don't, you don't get someone just say to you, I, I don't know how to make other things. You know, a, a, a restaurant owner usually knows how to make a lot of things. And most restaurant owners have a lot of experience. They may, they may be a pizza place, but they're making a lot of other items. You know, they have the equipment, they have a grill, they have fryers, they have all these things that you can, they can use to make food. So that's really never, uh, never something that really pops up. The, the thing that does pop up is, okay, ingredient wise, what do I need to bring in? So what we try to do is we try to um, keep those ingredients working within the menus. So being a restaurateur for a number of years and understanding restaurants, we designed everything so that it works within the restaurant's current inventory. Now, not every brand works for every restaurant. And we're clear with that with our, with our restaurant partners, or what we call fulfillment partners, is that... Um, you know, we want to make sure that we're not bringing more expense to you. We want it, this has to be profitable. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of different brands now. We have over 30 brands uh, that we have, and some are pizza brands and some are breakfast brands and some are sloppy joes, believe it or not, um, and mac and cheese, uh, things that are really simple for restaurants to make. And what we found is that the simpler the food, the more it sells. The consumers really aren't interested in um, fancy food. They're interested in the stuff that they eat every day, and they utilize the platforms for convenience. And that's where we found is the is, is the best uh, way to bring our brands to market. So as a pizza owner, right, been doing this 20 years and, you know, I know how to make really good pizza. Now you're giving me an option to essentially, if we're like in the world of retail, you're giving me other options for different SKUs. Now yes. I have my inventory capabilities have now just multiplied. Yes. Right. So there's two ways of looking at that. Right. One is now you brought in this inventory that now you can expand maybe your internal business, right? Your, your current uh, brand, your current restaurant into other, other things, right? Or you can strictly stay with these items and keep an online presence. Now, can those items also be used elsewhere? So for instance, we have three brands, most of our brands all interchange. So when you look at all 30 of our brands is about 140 menu items, ingredient items total that make up all the brands. So they're all crossover brands, right? So you have hamburgers, you have grilled cheeses. Well, you can also make patty melts. It's all the same ingredients. But those are three different brands that represent three different stores on four different platforms. Nice. All right. You were in Chicago, kind of known for your pizza, right? What is your experience? You live in Florida now. How do you compare Florida pizza versus uh, Chicago pizza? Um, <laughs> well, I'm more of a New York pizza guy. Okay. Uh, that has been my, my, I grew up in New York, so I'm more of a New York style pizza guy than I am a, uh, Chicago style pizza guy, but I did was the COO of a pizza chain in Chicago for a number of years. So, uh, I look at the pizzas as two different styles. Um, and the Chicago pizza is, uh, much more, uh, flavorful. I would say, uh, and there's a lot of different flavors, like every brand in Chicago tends to have its own type of cheese and its own type of sauce. Where in New York, it's it's a little more generic overall. Um, the pizza is much different. You know, obviously you pick up a pizza, pizza, the dough is different. Uh, in Chicago, they cut square uh, round pizzas in squares. You know, it's different. Uh, and then you have deep dish also. But honestly, deep dish is not the big Chicago pizza market. Like the pizza market is really thin crust in the Chicagoland market. Just they've done a great job of marketing deep dish in the city of Chicago. Uh, but when you get to the outsides, it's mostly they, they call it tavern style or it's thin crust. Super cool. So as you're building this out, right, like you said, the pandemic, you know, the, what, what happened in COVID accelerated you years in advance, right? For, and which is, you know, for, for some people, it was a big challenge. And then some people really, their, their business accelerated forward. Now you provided a solution during a time of chaos. Um, what kind of results have you experienced since, you know, starting to build this and, and over the last couple of years, what are some milestones that you've hit that you're proud of? Well, um, I, I'd say that, you know, the, the business itself, when we were first starting to get it going, was, you know, selling them on a business model of uh, 
excess capacity a kitchen has, more time, you know, in off hours, things like that. And then we learned a lot through that process, right? Um, then a whole bunch of people want restaurants wanted to come on right away, very fast, right? So we had to build things fast. The technology wasn't quite there fully. Um, so we spent a lot of time with one of our technology partners, um, helping them understand and helping them grow what's needed. And that's really caught up in the last, uh, the last year. It's really accelerated, uh, and helped be able to build these brands faster, get them to restaurants faster. The technology is really, really good now for the, for the restaurant owner. It's a tablet and a printer and they're called consolidation tablets. Uh, we use a company called Kubo. Uh, out of, believe it or not, they're out of Canada, uh, but they're, they're, they are the, I found they are the best in the business uh, and they, they adapt faster than everybody else that's in the business. And what we do with their technology is everything flows through the one tablet. So everything's coming into one place. So more consolidation of data, things like that. Um, master controls, instead of having to be using things across all of the third-party platforms, which were all different. Now we have more standardization within that. And when we started, there was no such thing as virtual restaurants. Um, they had virtual restaurant. They, the virtual restaurant was available and people did them, but there was no mass production of it. So in other words, no companies that really did this. Um, there was the, and now there's, there's a lot of them out there. Um, some are bigger than others. Uh, some have, you know, uh, big brand names, uh, they'll have like uh, uh, celebrity brands, things like that. Um, so, but everybody goes to market a little different, which is very cool about the about the market. And it really works for any restaurant. It's just, you have to find what brands work for you the best and what companies do the better job of marketing those brands so you get more orders, right? Another term that I heard in this is like a, a ghost kitchen. What is there? Are they the same thing? Are they similar? What yeah. are what's your well? Thoughts? There's there's a few different terms out there. Uh, one is a virtual brand. So a virtual brand is a restaurant brand that um, doesn't exist anywhere but online, uh, and there's no um, brick and mortar locations, right? Then there's the ghost kitchen, which is a physical location, right? That has multiple virtual brands within it or brands that are only online, right? So it could be, you could have a ghost kitchen that someone is a chef and has his own ghost kitchen and just makes his brand. He could make other brands too. And that's considered a ghost kitchen where there's no, there's no real storefront to the brand, right? Then you have a dark kitchen and a dark kitchen is a single brand uh, that'll go in and have a individual restaurant make their food. And so like there's a company called Wow Bow and they act as a dark kitchen, right? They hire dark kitchens to make their food. What we And so what we do is we hire local restaurants that have the ability. So our restaurants act kind of in all different uh, across the gamut, really there, you know, their, their kitchen side becomes kind of a ghost kitchen, right? By terminology with our virtual brands. And you could say it's dark. I mean, so you could, there's, it, it kind of falls across all the platforms, but the, the verbiage is very, it, there is a uniqueness to the verbiage, uh, but virtual brands kind of cover all of them, can work in any of those locations. Gosh, I just, uh, th this is so cool. So virtual brands, ghost kitchen, dark kitchen, virtual restaurants in a, in a, a whole. So you guys kind of taken different models, licensing it out and now help implement that into restaurants for restaurant owners 
to have more options, more profitability, more flexibility? Like, yeah, what are some of the benefits? There's a lot of things that the restaurants um, benefit from. Okay, so one one is um, they get a an influx of orders, right? So these orders come in. Uh, so let's say um, let's say a, a restaurant brings in 30 more orders a day at around $30 average. So that's $900 in sales a day. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot for a restaurant when you think about a daily thing. So restaurants open every day. If they did $1,000 more a day, it's $365,000 a year in sales. That's that's extraordinarily. That's a lot of sales for a restaurant. Yeah. Now it's all great and dandy, but it has to be profitable too. So just doing work doesn't make you money. It has to be a profitable situation for the restaurant. So the way we set it up is that we have a guarantee with our company of 30% profit on those sales dollars. So we guarantee the restaurant is going to make 30% of that 365,000 if that's what they did in sales on an annual basis. If they don't reach that, then we make up the difference. Uh, All of our stores average over 32% currently. uh, So it's not not an issue. And that's our job is to make sure the pricing is right. And it's the job of the restaurant to make sure they just make the food, right? And provide that food to the driver to bring to the consumer. The benefit the restaurant, other benefits the restaurant get is that they get more movement of their inventory, current inventory, right? So all the items that we have, if you brought in every one of our brands, a, a typical uh, diner, you know, your typical New York style diner might have 98% of the items already in inventory ingredients. So it's very simple for them, right? Not every restaurant style or type has that, but, you know, diners tend to have that, right? Breakfast restaurants tend to have the the ingredients because they have such a wide variety of items on their menus, as opposed to a, a Chinese food place or a, a pizza place that is very limited in their scope, right? Um, the other benefit is that you get uh, a lot of uh, benefit to the labor rate of your restaurant. So picture having the same employees making the food. You're not having to add anybody. To do 30 orders more a day for a restaurant is about three orders an hour. If the kitchen can't do three orders an hour more on an average, then we kind of have other things to talk about. And we have a whole separate division of our company that does consulting for restaurants. Mm-hmm. So. We can work on that. But uh, as long as your restaurant can do about 30 orders a day, you, you can be very, very successful at this business. Uh, it's our job to drive the sales. You're not doing any of that. The, the restaurant doesn't have to participate in any of the of the marketing. Uh, we, we perform all that as a company for our brands. Uh, and we want that. You just want them to be able to service the food. So the labor rate goes down. You also get a, a, a the way the curve works with orders is that uh, typically online orders come in just after your typical peak hours of your restaurant. So if your restaurant is a lunch and dinner restaurant, your peak hours are like eleven thirty to one thirty. The online orders will come in just after that because it's just human nature. People that determine to go out to eat have a plan to go out to eat, and they plan to go out at these times because that's when we tend to eat. Online, what happens is you're sitting at home, you're at the office, whatever's going on, and you decide that you're going to eat because you're hungry. So you choose the time to eat and you had that convenience of the apps to do that, right? So now what happens is those orders come in on that 132, 230 time. Well, those are the times that your staff was standing around doing nothing in your restaurant. Now they're producing revenue. And that's the whole idea. We have to get production of revenue. So the other part happens is the stores that don't open at night, I mean, at in the morning, but they're there prepping in the morning. So what's wrong with having a restaurant that can make egg sandwiches and pancakes and French toast at 8 a.m. when their staff is there prepping? And now that prep time where that labor was complete cost can now be paid for by having a few orders a day come in. 
know, if you can pick up $300 in orders, you picked up $100 in profit. Yeah. Well, that pays the hourly labor. Man. So all of a sudden, your labor rates, your labor percentages on your P&L look phenomenal, right? And your profit and loss statements look great. So it then lends to down the road, the option of what if I wanted to sell my business? If I was a restaurant and I want to sell my business. Well, now I have another business model within my business. Well, it makes my company more valuable. Or I sell my restaurant and I decide I just want to be in the ghost kitchen business. And I go down the street and I've already built an online business. And let's say it's a million dollars a year in business. I now can put a small kitchen with a little small staff and I can service the same market that I was already servicing because I already built the market. I've already got that that business model in that market. And now I just service those orders. Man, this is so cool. Super cool. Nice work. Nice work putting this all together, pulling all these different models into, into one. Let me ask you a question. Having this much options availability, how do you uh, how do you keep the weight off? Because I would just eat mac and cheese all day long, and those fillets, <laughs> man, my belly would hurt, and it would get much bigger than it is already. Well, you know the 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 number of options for the consumer is great now. You know, if you go online and you look at look at these uh, uh, apps, you'll see a tremendous amount of uh, orders out there. But there is a there is a key to getting the brands in front of the consumer so that they'll order our brands first. And that's the secret sauce, right? That's, that's, sauce. that's the secret to it all. And, uh, and we, we have a very good algorithm. We work with the third-party delivery companies in a different way than other people do. Uh, we spend a lot in marketing to drive those sales because they are strictly coming through those marketplaces, you know, which the third-party delivery companies are considered a marketplace, no different than Amazon is a marketplace, right? Uh, Uber is a marketplace. So you want to be at the top of that marketplace. You want to, you don't want to be on page nine. You want to be on page one and two and things like that. And you, and you want to get in front of the consumer as much as possible. Um, we, we have, uh, we've added some, um, some, some salad, a salad brand recently. Uh, we've added some things that uh, open up the culinary options a little bit more for the, uh, the person's a little more health conscious, but honestly um, people eat, every day and they eat all kinds of food and you know we have enough brands the way our brands are set up you can literally someone can literally order one of our brands every meal of the day every day of the week and they would pick they possibly could pick one of our brands from one of our restaurants ah super awesome man super cool all right let's get on the let's get on we've talked about a lot about business and and let's let's go on a personal mission for you right like looking forward let's just say we we build this thing out and you you exit one day or or you know build this and hand this off to your kids or whatever the case may be what does like what's a what's a goal that you're reaching towards that if you hit you're like i did it um i i have to say i i love to do more uh in the communities do things do more for charities uh do more things for people that are in need um you know we we live in this great country i mean and there's so much wealth here and there's there's so much opportunity to help people um would love to help people start up their own thing you know they want to learn how to operate virtual restaurants we can show them that want to learn how to operate a restaurant can show you that too i mean you can do all kinds of things and and find the thing that's i want to find those things that make those people happy so that because when people are happy in the work they do they do it the best yeah oh man that's good let me ask this question all right 
I pick up your phone. Let's just say you've had the same iPhone for the last 30 years, whatever. And I scroll through your music. What is the number one song you've played consistently over the last 30 years? Oh, gosh. Um, I'd probably have to say a uh, Def Leppard music. Awesome. Um, and, and maybe not the last 30 years, probably the last 10 years. I guess I got a little more into the uh, the rock in the last 10 years, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Is that, is that the guy who's the drummer had one arm or is that? Yes. Okay. Okay. Gosh, yep. that's an incredible story. Awesome, man. Um, in terms of books, resources, what would you recommend for someone who wants to get better in business or deal making? What's a, what's a resource that you could recommend to them? Um, there's a great book um, is how to market uh, to people not like me or not like you, I think it's called. It's a great book on understanding that we as people, uh, as individuals, are a very small marketing segment. So in other words, yeah. the grocery store might have 25,000 SKUs in it. But when you go to the grocery store, you probably buy 50 yeah. on a regular basis. But so there must be a lot of people that are buying the pig's feed on the bottom shelf because they're there. You know, and there might be a lot of people that are buying, you know, a certain type of uh, uh, taco shell that you don't even know about uh, because it's on the shelves. It wouldn't be there if there weren't people that ate things not like you. And so you have to be open to those ideas and not pigeonhole yourself in your thought process. Man, that is such that is so good. And I'm glad you brought this up. So how do you market to people not like me or, or something to that that effect? Right. I have found, and this is, this is with me, and I'd love your advice on this, is we have a, I think they call it like a cognitive bias, right? Like I, am, I might not be my ideal customer, but sometimes I create the value that only I can see or appreciate. And then when it comes to price and pricing it out, we go, ooh, you know, if I'm serving the ultra wealthy, I can't afford that. So we immediately start to negate our ability to grow and scale. When it comes to serving people who might not be like us or who value things that are different than us, how have you found that book has impacted you in your business? Well, what we what we te- what we try to do is we try to look at um, a lot of our competitors in the business and a lot of people in this business have used what's called big data. All right. And big data is, OK, what are people eating? Where's the data coming from? What are they seeing? And the reality is that that big data only gives you what the big data actually knows. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give you what's actually happening in the marketplace, right? So DoorDash and Uber and Grubhub will put out data and say, these are the brands that people order and stuff like that. But what if there was no French toast available online? Then how would you know if people would order it or not? Right? Mm -hmm. So by understanding what a restaurant sells, You can understand what will sell online. And so you have to take it outside of just big data. You have to start to look at things differently. So, for instance, we have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich brand. Okay. Everyone said to me, no one's going to buy peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Okay. I hope they keep that idea. (laughs) I hope they, they never think that anybody will ever eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Right. Because our brands do very, very well. Yeah. Do very, very well. So peanut butter sandwiches, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. 
yeah. there's a there's a huge demand for that online. There there is a demand. <laughs> uh, I would say that certain markets there's a very big demand, and other markets there aren't. Yeah. Um, but peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are definitely definitely sell. Yeah. So let's let's do this, Kirk. This has been a fun conversation. Um, two more questions. Number one, during this interview, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask? I completely screwed up. Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. So cool. So to end this up, to wrap this up, what's a good place for, for people who are interested in this kind of business model, maybe partnering with you, doing a deal together, or just getting your advice on something? What's a good place for people to connect with you and do a deal? Uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn, um, or they can reach me directly at Kirk at virtualprofitcooker.com. And they can also go out to our website at profitcookers.com, and they can always send us a message there too. Super cool. Super cool. Fellow dealmakers in the audience, as always, reach out to our guests, say thanks for being on the show, and find a way to do a deal with them. The purpose and mission of this show is to put deals and deal makers together. So I hope this has been fun, educational, entertaining for you. Now, if you have a deal that you'd like to talk about on the show, head over to thedealscout.com, fill out a quick form, maybe get you on the show next. Till then, talk to you all on the next episode. See you guys. <laughs>